Welcome uh, aboard, everyone, to our first uh, meetup on online mode. And um, you, this, this is our logo, as you already saw. Oh, for the newcomers, it's the first time. Our, our slogan. And um, where you can find us, uh, our webpage, Slack, email, every or even Twitter, every channel is a good to, to, to reach us. Um, so since this, uh, since COVID, we we started in the in the on we started to work more online mode. So every idea around talks, workshops, or even office hours are welcome. We have a, a small form uh, uh, where you can share your ideas or just send us an email to devopsport.gmail.com. Uh, meanwhile, the team is trying to cook some uh, some ideas. One of them, I want to, to share some of them. One is the Kubernetes st stairway to production series. So the idea here is to to gather people that works uh, on Kubernetes or run Kubernetes. So the idea is to for everyone uh, once can talk a, a bit of what. To uses Kubernetes for. Uh, second idea is um, is to share open source projects uh, uh, by the community members. Uh, and Philippe, one of our guests, can can share his um, repo, so we can talk later about that. But the idea is to have a list or a place where we can share uh, interesting projects that uh, can gather uh, new contributors. And also workshops and dojos, we are trying to organize something around this, uh, around the cloud providers, technologies, and so on. Um, since uh, we are online, some uh, some guidelines. So when you join, you have uh, realized that you are muted. So everyone who joins is muted because to avoid noise. You can um, rename yourself, and if you want, can also add your city or location. You can turn your webcam to to in order to see some familiar faces. <laughs> and. Um, Today we will have two talks. For after each presentation, there will be time for two or three questions. Uh, please write your questions in the chat. We will pick them and uh, deliver to the speaker. Um, we can uh, also uh, move the discussion further using our Slack channel. Here is the, the URL, and you can get the invitation on the second one. Uh, <coughs> so, so today's, today we have two talks. First one with Philip Oliveira, and the title is Why Average Lie? Um, and the second one is, will be delivered by Carlos Teixeira and the application monitoring and metric relation for scale. So today the topic is monitoring. Uh, this is Philip. I will not spend much time because he will introduce himself. And he, there is Carlos uh, running away from bears. And um, uh, let's welcome all. I hope you enjoy. And uh, let's start with the first talk and will be Philip. Okay. Um, either guys, I'll start by sharing the screen. So I hope you guys can see it. Yes. Yes. 
Yes. Okay. So basically, um, on my today's talk, I want to share with you um, and to convince you why averages lie in the context of um, distributed systems or the systems that you develop um, for your business or for anything that um, um, you um, propose yourself to do with regards to um, computer systems and what we can do about it and share a little bit of experience and uh, why this is so important. Um, but before that, I'll, I'll quickly introduce myself. So um, basically, I'm, I'm a performance engineer uh, that's working at Redis Labs. Um, Redis Labs is known for being the home of Redis, and we um, normally support not only the development of the open source uh, Redis um, uh, product, but also um, everything that comes uh, alongside it and uh, uh, other performance or observability tools. So basically, we we are uh, we develop open source tools for two reasons one for the fun of it and the other one because we really need it and we need to understand what's uh, happening on our systems you you are, you are more than welcome to to check out my personal github or redis github etc everything is open source you are welcome to see what we are doing there and contribute and uh, basically make questions you um but taking a step back before uh, diving deep on uh, why average is why? Um, I want to uh, make this question not a philosophical question, but uh, why do we write code? So we write code for um, uh, one specific reason, basically to uh, respond to needs. Normally, it's when we are talking about writing code on, on our jo daily jobs is to re respond to business needs, but we also write code um, to respond to organizational needs, societies, or someone's needs. So basically, and when we want to write code, and when we want to solve a problem, we uh, decompose that problem into several units of work. And uh, as soon as we start defining those units of, units of work, um, we need to understand how well is the work being done. And that's basically the role of, of performance engineering, is to understand uh, how well am I doing the things that I set myself to do. Um, and to do that in a meaningful manner, in an unbiased manner, we need a way to understand the system behavior. And to understand it, we basically need metrics. So, um, sorry, the better the metrics, the better you understand how well are you performing or how well are you doing the job that you set yourself to do. But um, to get uh, less abstract and, and to get more concrete about something, we, we can uh, think about work as an application that you want to develop, uh, application uh, user-facing application, and uh, you can think about the performance engineering as to or our performance tasks to understand how well or how responsive is my application uh, to the user requests. Basically, as simple as this. I want to I, I develop an application and I want to see uh, how my users are experiencing it, how fast it is. And um, uh, why, the reason why I picked up latency and why latency is so important when compared to other types of metrics is because. Uh, other types of metrics will help you describe your system and will help you um, understand how well your system is behaving. But latency not only does that, but also describes how your users are, ex are experiencing it. So basically, uh, for example, uh, you can have uh, your machine CPU, CPU utilization, saturation of your service, etc. It will help you describe um, your service internally so that you understand how well are you behaving uh, with regards to uh, uh, infrastructure with regards to anything that um, uh, your application needs to, to run, but latency not only does that, but also informs you about uh, how users are seeing it or our users are experiencing it. So that's why I, I picked up latency and we'll, we'll talk about other uh, metrics that are also important. But focusing on the latency, we, we first need to describe it. And it's as simple as the length of an operation. You describe the operation, whether it's some, uh, uh, an operation can be, for example, putting a job in a queue, serving um, uh, users' requests, anything that can be measured. Well, you, you have the latency definition, as simple as it is. And uh, to describe the latency, you need to collect it or uh, in, in, in some form and to preserve it and to be able to describe it. Uh, and you, you have several ways of doing it. Uh, the most naive approach would be basically to store everything. Uh, every request that I serve to my to my um, customer or, or to other services, etc., I'll store the time that it took uh, me to respond it. And then, when I want to understand my application behavior, I'll just query that data, 
and I'll, I'll have a full picture of it because I have the entire data points. I have every information that I need to describe it. And despite this being the optimal scenario in, in terms of describing the latency of your system, is not uh, uh, an optimal scenario or even feasible scenario in the times that we live uh, on. So basically, if you have an application or, or any type of application that's serving millions of requests per day, you have millions of data points. And it's unfeasible uh, to be able to query that type of data in, um, in, um, in a manner or in a real-time manner, in a useful manner. So normally we pass from having the entire data to having the common case um, uh, metric or common case averages, uh, average that basically describes or tries to describe um, the latency behavior. And we, based on that, I'll try to describe my system, my system behavior. And um, the whole purpose of this talk is to try to convince you that a single metric, a single common case approach is not enough for um, describing latency. And the reason can be very easily perceived on these four graphs. Um, you can visually understand, if you, if you associate with, uh, with each graph um, the behavior of a system, you can easily understand that they all behave differently, but they have one common property or several common, common uh, properties. Uh, that is, they have the same average. So basically, if you calculate the average of each of the, the systems, you'll have the, exactly the same metric. They have the same variance and they have the same linear regression. So basically, you can't just use simple metrics to try to understand your system behavior because they, they will be very misleading. So for example, in system two or X2, the second image, you would be uh, seeing uh, linear regression pointing towards something going up. So basically, uh, you will try to describe your latency as um, uh, um, starting to increase, but now at the end of the, um, at the time, your latency is already decreasing. So you will be very, you won't be able to properly understand how your latency is behaving, and consequently how your system is behaving by just having a single metric or uh, um, uh, the metrics that are bundled to it. For example, the average standard distribution, everything that's bundled to a normal distribution behavior, behavior will not be able to describe correctly the latency. You will have um, some data, you have an indicator, but you, uh, that indicator is not uh, properly describing how your system is behaving and now your system is, uh, all the performance is uh, changing. And to, um, to try to uh, understand this or to give more examples on why this is so important, um, if, this, if the latency behavior was described by a, a normal distribution, like we have talked before, using just the, calculating the average and having the entire perspective of your system by just applying normal distribution statistics, like for example, having the, no, the average, the standard deviation, etc., and being able to fully describe your system, this would be, the, this would be perfect. You will not need more than a, a, um, a couple of metrics to be able to describe your full system, full latency behavior. But this is not true to, it's not something that we can correlate when we, when we observe latency on our systems. Latency uh, is uh, normally is related to a log normal distribution. So by basically calculating averages, you would be hiding the long tail behavior of your system. So you have, you have um, a, a false sense of, uh, that, a false sense that everything is okay and you would be uh, having uh, misleading or you, you will be guiding your decisions in a misleading manner and fully uh, and, and not fully uh, not having the full picture of your system behavior and this can get worse it can get uh, a lot worse because normally when we develop our applications or anything that we are um, uh, um, defining ourselves to do uh, with regards to the work we are uh, normally and uh, the applications that we define do not um, uh, do only one single type of tasks so yeah, not only you will not be able to see um, a, a normal distribution, uh, you will not also see a, log, a normal uh, log normal distribution, you will see something more uh, related to this. That's like a multi-model distribution in which you have several log normals. And you can correlate this, like for example, having an application that basically have gets and, uh, and, and sets, have, uh, reads and writes operations, in which you are in, in associated with each of those operations, you have a behavior. So basically you have two patterns within the same application or several um, patterns within the same application. And to show you guys that this is not as uh, uncommon as, we, as you guys might think, uh, um, Brendan Gregg, that it's basically one of the, um, the, the performance engineers of uh, Netflix, 
has uh, collected um, information about Node.js and MySQL um, performance regarding the latency. So basically, it tried to describe the latency behavior on 50 uh, random servers um, serving um, uh, uh, HTTP requests and on 50 random serving servers serving database requests. And on, uh, and as as you can see, on most of it or on on a, a big portion of it, uh, you know, you are not seeing the normal distribution. In, in any of them, you are seeing a normal distribution. You are not seeing a simple log normal distribution, but you are seeing something more related to the multi-model distribution. Basically, this means that if you calculate the average of a multi-model distribution, you might have a metric that does not represent anything that your user user is experiencing. So you can have, for example, uh, uh, a very uh, fast operation and a very slow operation and the average will be in the middle of them and that does not represent anything of what your user is experiencing. So I believe that up until now, you're already uh, able to understand or I, I was already able to convince you that this is a problem and, uh, and that the problem um, is hard to, uh, to try to solve or, or it's hard for you to try to understand your system behavior based on latency, based on this simple type of metrics, basically just looking at the average or looking at the standard distribution, uh, standard deviation. And the reason um, uh, for that is because as we've seen before on the previous slides, it's susceptible to outliers. So basically um, uh, um, uh, both a, posit a very positive outlier or a negative outlier, basically something really, really fast or something really, really slow will deeply influence the average of your system basically hides long tails so it gives you a, a sense that something is it's behaving steady in a very steady stable scenario and it's not and basically under and estimates the user experience or uh, even in the worst case scenario does not provide you any metric that you can correlate to the user experience if you have multi-model distributions and so we know that um, by having um, a better understanding of anything, not only uh, regarding to distributed systems, you are able to do better decisions. And within a performance analysis, you need for, to have better understanding, you just need better metrics. So the overall idea is that we need a metric that's able to be representative of the data because the average is not. It needs to be space and time efficient because if this second requirement wasn't there, we could basically just use the naive approach and collect all data. And it needs to be practical to use. So basically, I need to be able to really use it and, and compose it and uh, query the data in the, in, the, in the form that my business or my, my, um, uh, by, by the work that I'm proposing myself to do requires. And uh, for that, we can uh, move from uh, using averages to using percentiles. And basically, a percentiles just sets the, the upper boundary, up, uh, the upper boundary of a group of observations. So basically, uh, to give you an example, the percentile 50 will indicate you or, or will demonstrate that 50% of the, um, the users or uh, anything that's making requests to your, request your application are being served up to that upper limit. So for example, if the percentile 50 is 5 milliseconds, I know that 50% of my entire uh, user space or the entire users that are using my application will be served up to 5 milliseconds. So basically you can start describing um, you're, you can start fully describing and fully sketching your user experience or your application um, behavior based on latency. And to illustrate you uh, how, why this is so important and, and how can you use this um, um, uh, bullet by bullet as we've seen before, to be able to, uh, to, to give you an example of how this is so representative of data, to answer the question, for example, why is the, uh, uh, what is the latency of 19% of my users I basically um, just use the percent on IT. Uh, what is the worst case scenario or what is the worst 1% experience that my users will have? Uh, you just basically uh, have an interval between the percent of 99 and percent of 100. Uh, what's, and you can also do, uh, um, make usage of the same data structure that you will be required to use to calculate percentiles to calculate the inverse of that function. And basically the inverse of the percentile is instead of uh, being able to say that an X amount of percentage of your users are, the, are experiencing that um, latency, you'll be able to answer the question in a different manner. So to give you an example, instead of saying 50% of our, of our users are um, below 10 milliseconds, you will be able to do the question uh, um, in reverse. 
So the, the whole idea is to tell me what's the amount of users that are being served up, for example, one millisecond or five milliseconds. You, this is a really, really powerful metrical metric because it, it sets, it's able to, to answer to your business, to, to the, your application needs in a, in a manner that an average can't. And regarding being space and time efficient, you, uh, as you saw on the naive approach, you, you need to, to store all data. Uh, with regards to, to the percentiles, you need as much as uh, you, you need the boundaries for sure, the minimum, maximum, and some of, 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 the, of the percentiles in the middle, middle that will help you describe uh, your behavior based on how mature you are or how mature your application is. But uh, you are moving away from having millions of data points to having uh, dozens or hundreds of data points depending on how mature you are. And regarding maturity, uh, and I really wanted to focus on, on this part as well, because you can be a startup and make usage of the percentiles right away, or, uh, and you can also be and focus, for example, on the 50% of user base, or just tell, uh, assuming that, well, I'm not, I don't care about, or I don't have the means to care about the last percentage of users. So I'll, I'll start my company, and I now just look at uh, the latencies up to the percentile 99. The rest, I don't have the means right now to, to work towards improving it. And if you are a startup, that's okay. And if you are, for example, a big company like Twitter or Facebook, etc., you are not as much worried about the uh, initial latencies, but you are much more worried about improving the uh, last part of the user experience. So you are more, more concerned about improving the last portion of the percentile. So instead of just looking at the percentile 50, you will be looking, for example, at the percentile 99.9 .9 or even more nines. So this, is, this can be practically used and applied in different maturities of um, company. Uh, regarding uh, on how to calculate percentiles and cumulative distributive functions, that, that's basically a fancy name to, to say that's, that's an inverse of the percentile, um, you need a data structure. And the data structure that uh, we are accustomed to uh, use or uh, we are acquainted to are uh, histograms. So basically, by using histograms, you will be able to calculate the percentiles. And histograms, they come in different colors and flavors. So there, there are a lot of them, but they, what, uh, you should focus not on, on the implementation part, but you should focus on, on what its, the, its purpose, how much space do they use, how fast they are, and how precise they are. Because basically the precision of your histogram will be the precision of the decisions that, of the, the sketches that will have about your latency experience and consequently of the, your system behavior. And we've moved from having one single uh, point or that describes our systems to have a full percentile spectrum. So basically you have the full characterization of uh, the percentile zero up to the percentile 99.9 .9 or the max percentile 100. So this is very, very powerful. And you can, we, we will take the, the, the questions that we saw before and try to answer them with just this simple graph that basically plots percentiles towards the latency. So getting to the first question, what's the latency that 90% of our users experience? Basically, you just uh, find or navigate to the x-axis and find the, the position of the percentile 90 and you'll have the latency that they are experiencing it. The same can be applied to intervals. So basically, what's the worst user experience that my, uh, my, my what's the worst 1% user experience it, uh, that, I'm, uh, that my users are experiencing? And did it got worse? You can even do uh, comparisons of histograms. Did it got worse against last week or did it got worse against yesterday? You basically just have uh, two samples of data that are fully describing your system behavior on time one and time two. And then you can basically plot them together and understand your full latency distribution behavior. And looking at here, you basically focus on the latest 1%. And then you add a second graph that's basically the time frame two. And you understand that, well, the time frame um, uh, one is better than time frame two, meaning that in the past I was better. I had my users were experiencing uh, lower latencies. So basically, yes, I, I'm, my, my application got worse. And then you have the means to, and you have the visibility to understand why did it happen. And regarding the part of being able to use uh, the inverse of the percentiles, well, let's try to answer what's the percentage of users that are uh, served up to one millisecond or up to five milliseconds. So instead of navigating towards the x-axis, you'll basically navigate toward the, towards the y-axis and navigate up to a point of one millisecond and then 
intersect it with, with the line that, that describes the full percentile latency and you have your value. The same applies for the five milliseconds example. So basically by uh, we using the same data structure, you can answer two types of questions. And uh, um, to give you an example of why this is very important, not only for you as a developer to describe your application performance, but why this is so important to the business or, or to, the, to the guys that are relying upon your application to do some work. Well, let's give an, a, a, an example of a payment system. So we have, uh, uh, we have a payment system and you have a requirement that 99% of your payments to be below 7.5 milliseconds. And uh, you have the second requirement that uh, the 5.9 or 99.999 to be below 10 milliseconds. But you're not doing this blindly. You're, you don't have percentiles, but you're not doing this blindly. We'll do this by using the normal distribution approach. So basically you have two uh, metrics that you can use. So the mean and the standard deviation. And you know that by, by uh, remembering of your probabilistic uh, uh, classes that the, the percentile uh, 99.999 the, the is basically, uh, can be responded by the formula of my uh, mean plus 4.5 times the standard deviation. And you calculate it and you say, well, mm, uh, uh, if this um, uh, follows the normal distribution, my uh, five ninths percentile will be 3.3 milliseconds. So basically we agreed that 7.5, um, sorry, 10 milliseconds was our limit. So we are more than safe with assuming this requirement. And then, but the problem is that as we've seen before, latencies do not respond to normal distributions. So you can't use this type of calculations to uh, make business decisions upon or make uh, agreements upon. You should have used the percentile and that's why I'm going to plot it and you will be able to see how will this basically help driving the business needs and why using averages and standard deviations to drive business needs or to drive any requirement for your application with regards to latency is something that can be very, very misleading and can put you in uh, in a bad shape with regards to the, the guys, to the bosses basically. And so we'll use this same distribution, the latency distribution to plot our first service level agreement. And we see that, well, we, we plot a line that the 7.5 milliseconds latency up to the percentile 99. And we are good. We say, well, uh, as we've seen on, on the normal distribution, everything is okay. But then you plot the second requirement for, for which you have calculated that it should be uh, at around three point something milliseconds. But you see that by having a full percentile spectrum, you see that uh, the 99.999 is way below 10 milliseconds. So basically you are failing uh, the service level of agreement that you thought that was way, way below the, um, the values that you, you calculated using the standard deviation and the, the mean. But the good news is that when you have this type of, of metrics or the latency distribution, you can uh, basically set yourself to improve upon the agreements that you um, failed. Basically, you have um, uh, a way of saying, well, up to 7.5 milliseconds, my, my application is it's performing really, really, really well. So there's no need to optimize for that first agreement, but I know where should I focus upon uh, with regards to the latest requirement. You have the, the uh, full position of latencies in which you failed. So basically you, you will not be able to you don't need to prematurely optimize something that's already working. So the first agreement is okay. And you have a map to where you are failing basically. And we saw that this graph plots, puts high attention between the percentile up, from the percentile 90 up to the percentile 100 or the 99 with several nines. And, and why do, do we think that this is important or, or how, uh, what's the chance of my users really experiencing the percentile 99? And that can be, it's already, uh, there are already several examples showcasing this, but if you think that one simple request to an application or to a, to a website implies several requests underneath, and if you, you, you associate, well, if that was one single request, the likelihood for me to fit between the percentile 99 and 100 would be 1%. To calculate the probability of one of the requests of the website, the, one of the 100, for example, taking the Amazon example, uh, to load a page, you do 190 requests. So to calculate the likelihood of one of those requests sitting between the percentile 99 or uh, uh, between the percentile 99 up to the percentile 100, you do something called the, the opposite event formula, 
So basically you do the math and you see that there's a likelihood of one of those 190 requests to be uh, um, between percent of 99 and 100 is 185%. So uh, it's very, very common for users to experience the latest or the, the to, to have the, um, the worst case scenario of your application. So that's why it's so important the percent of 99 or the, the full percentile spectrum and the latest percentile spectrum that we saw here. So I, I, I hope that um, up until now you guys understand that, understood that, and I convinced you that uh, using averages can be very misleading and then uh, using percentiles should be a good approach to fully describe the latency and focusing on the, the latest percentiles is something really important. But this is not enough to describe a system. So there's no free lunch. Basically what this solves is the ability to fully characterize latency. But to fully characterize your system, you need more metrics. You need to basically be able to calculate latency with ops per second, error rate, etc. The, the metrics that you, you need to correlate are basically bounds to what your business requires. So the overall idea is that you need to give more context. You know that this is one of the important metrics, but you need to look at more metrics to fully describe the system. And the, the, the metric list is the same as, as before. You have, for example, operations per unit per time. So basically uh, an example is ops per second. You have success metrics, error metrics, etc. Everything, this will be described or will be a requirement provided to you by the guys that require your application. And now that I've um, shared my, my thoughts about why averages lie, I passed the ball to you. And if you guys uh, want to know more about um, theory or code, I, I've included several links that basically share the same ideas and go really, really deep on why the, this is a good approach. And if you want to apply it to your company, there, uh, um, there are two major groups, basically. You have the software as a service based monitoring services like New Relic, Datadog, et cetera, that already have those types of metrics. So basically you have the average, but you also are provided with um, a percentile. So it's just, it's just, they are just a quick away and you have all means to, to start looking at more than just an average. And if your um, organization does not rely on something like that, but relies more about um, open source monitoring services or open source monitoring solutions like Prometheus, you can also do, it, do things by yourself by using summaries and histograms as referred on, on this link. And just to conclude, um, we are also trying to, to, to push forward this and to advocate for the, the necessity of histograms. And we, we are basically pushing forward two types of histograms and with, within uh, two languages. So basically in Go and in C, because we use them heavily both on our, our uh, benchmark clients and, and our um, basically applications. And we have two types of histograms and they are really, really fast. So this should be able to give you a, a, an example of, of the number of ingestions per seconds of the number of collected metrics that you can have without affecting your performance. So basically on our Go version of the, this histogram, you can insert more than 100 million uh, data points per second on a single core, uh, on a, a sequential uh, solution. Within the C version and with a different type of algorithm, uh, um, you can, uh, by using uh, a different, basically a different type of histogram that, that answers different types of questions, you can get up to 60 nanoseconds per, per uh, operation, but it is really, really, really fast. And your, if your application does not serve 1 million data points or does not serve 1 million requests per second or 10 million requests per second, this will not impact the performance of your application. And that's all that I, I have to share with you guys. And I hope that uh, you guys enjoyed and you are convinced that you should look at more metrics than the, than the average. And I think that I, I'll pass the ball to you to, to um, respond to some questions. Thank you, Philippe. Um, if anyone has a question, please just uh, type it on the chat. Uh, Yes, uh, thank you again, Philippe. Uh, I'm really convinced uh, that I, did, uh, I shouldn't skip my statistics classes. Thank you for reminding me that. Uh, uh, I will give you a, more, a few seconds to have someone have a question for you, Philippe. Um, just wait. <coughs> Uh, so, meanwhile, I'm just people able to just uh, just as I said before, 
one great example that uh, a behavior is not uh, represented by one metric, you can take our own example as uh, our Portugal COVID situation, when Europe takes one single metric and apply rules based on that. So one metric can, can, can be good or can be bad. So we have a bad luck on that. Next time we have a better luck. Okay, so since uh, anyone uh, want to, I, I, yeah, this uh, I'm also dizzy with uh, all the statistics, but it was great, Philip. It was a great presentation. Um, I will uh, ask now Carlos to to start to share the screen and start uh, the presentation. Uh, can you guys hear me? Yes. Yeah. All right. Um, so let me try to hide the Zoom thing here on the corner. Okay. Uh, so hi everyone, I'm Carlos. I'm a software engineer at Lenses.io. Um, I'm gonna be talking to you today about distributed tracing and metric collection uh, for Scala. In this particular case, I'm not gonna be focusing too much on the Scala side of things, but mostly on the distributed tracing and metric collection. Um, I'll try to be quick because I'm pretty sure everyone wants to go have dinner uh, soon. So let's get this started. Um, so quick summary, I'm just going to quickly introduce Kamen, which is a small library that I've used to um, achieve the results I'm going to be showing to you. Um, then I'm going to call it FUBAR, which is my, was a little bit of a pet project that I used to essentially test some of the uh, functionalities that Kamen offers. I'll show you the project working very quickly, and then we're gonna go and look a little bit into the monitoring, alerting, and tracing cap capabilities that Kamen offers you. And then very briefly, I'm just gonna um, mention what using Kamen kind of looks like. I, I think you can uh, do a similar, um, I think other libraries for other, um, for other languages usually have more or less the same type of functionality, so it's a little bit useful to have that. Um, to have that knowledge. And then at the end, if there's any questions, feel free to ask. So very, very quickly, Kamen uh, is a library for, I think for Java applications and definitely for Scala applications. You can see it as two, essentially two big, it has two big modules, uh, which then have sub modules inside of it. It has a, or a instrumentation model uh, module, which essentially integrates with uh, a lot of commonly used frameworks. So you have HTTP, you have some JDBC integrations. And what it kind of does is it, it taps into those integrations and tries to extract information from the code that's currently running. So that would be the instrumentation side of Kamen. And then there's a second side, which is essentially all of this data that you're collecting about your code has to go somewhere, right? So then there are uh, multiple exporters that interact, interact with uh, commonly used uh, systems where you can export your, your data to. Um, so yeah, let's, let's look into FUBAR. Uh, the basic idea is that I wanted to model like a, a fully automated uh, bar or a fully automated pub and the way it works right now is fairly simple. So you have a user, uh, the user interacts with this console application, which is not much, which is just an HTTP server. Um, you essentially submit a request for a drink that gets passed to the bartender app. Um, the bartender app will essentially, uh, it, it doesn't do much. It will just submit that request into a RabbitMQ uh, instance. And then Rabbit, depending on what drink you, you order, will uh, direct that request to a specific tab. Uh, in this particular case, uh, the tab, by pouring the drink, the tab will essentially just sleep for a couple of microseconds. And then essentially we'll return back a, a, a response or it will publish uh, an event into Rabbit saying, I finished this request, it's, it's been successfully handled. And the bartender picks that information up. Um, notifies the console. I didn't mention before, but the console has a, has a Postgres database. So the, essentially the console will just change the status to say that the new request is now fulfilled. 
and you have an happy customer now because they can drink whatever they order. So let's very quickly look at this. It's not gonna be extremely amazing. So I have this monitoring uh, script, which is essentially just issuing a query to that Postgres database. And we can see that we have multiple requests here. Some are successful, some are processing. And I can very quickly, um, actually let me reduce these numbers because it usually makes my connection choppy if I send too many. I can see that I'm sending a bunch of requests for drinks. This is created randomly. Uh, the basic idea is so I'm sending 50 requests per each allowed drink. And then in this case, they're being paralyzed to, so I'm sending one at a time, or I can send more than one at a time. But anyway, this is the gist of it. Um, and so I guess the, the, the thing now is, so assuming that this is, a uh, couple of services that are running somewhere. So in, in this case, they're actually just running, um, they're just running locally uh, uh, through, uh, within Docker containers. Um, but let's assume that this is a production system and you actually wanna know how things are going. So um, there, there's essentially, uh, I would say that there's essentially two things that you wanna know. One would be more, uh, and they're like they're inter interlinked with each other. But one would be uh, health monitoring, so understanding are our services up? Do customers get responses back? Do we have a lot of errors being shown, etc. And then there's a second side of thing, which is I think uh, what we just saw in, in the previous presentation, which is our um, services being handled correct uh, fast enough. Um, are there some particular some particular requests that are taking too long or that are throwing uh, errors, etc. And so I did. I, I'm mostly going to focus on the on the second bit. Uh, I think the health monitoring. Um, I, I didn't implement it, but usually what uh, I've been uh, what I've seen doing is you probably have like a health check endpoint that verifies that you can connect to services that you depend on that you can connect to the database. And that's about it. At that point, you kind of know that your services is working. But then there's the other side of things, which is performance monitoring, um, which is uh, what I'm going to be showing you now. Um, so, uh, so Kamen, while it's working, it's collecting this data, and in this, at this point, uh, for this particular example, is publishing it into InfluxDB. Um, I now I hooked up a, a uh, Grafana into Influx. And so what Kamen allows us to do is essentially uh, uh, visualize this information. So we have information like the request throughput and we can plot the request throughput. Uh, 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 call special attention to the fact that uh, because we're instrumenting our app and not just treating the, the app as a black box, we can have information such as like the individual endpoints that are being called. Um, if there was an error, if there was no, if there were no errors, uh, again we can see we can plot the counts of what status codes are being uh, returned. We can actually see immediately here that uh, we do have some errors being shown. Uh, so we have the counts and it's quite high, which is a little bit worrying. Um, so this would be so this is the HTTP layer. So we got response times, we got the percentiles, um, and uh, so as I, as I said before, we don't only, um, we not only, uh, uh, we not only um, instrument the HTTP layer, but we also do it for the JDBC layer. So you have the, how long is it taking to uh, perform specific um, queries? Um, and then the normal JVM metrics. So you can do the memory usage, the number of threads, how, the, how many tasks you're submitting. Um, the garbage collector and so on and so forth. Um, so in this case, this is the this is a small dashboard that I built for the console app. Um, there's uh, there's a dashboard for each of them, so you can we can quickly look maybe at the bartender, which is a little bit more interesting in the sense that it also writes into RabbitMQ. Um, so another good thing about Kamen is that, so it doesn't provide this RabbitMQ integration. So I, um, there, there's none 
the, the library that you use to write to RevMQ doesn't have an integration. It's usually fairly easy to add your own, even if you if you need to. And again, you can, we can see more or less the same metrics. So we can see the percentiles, the status code counts, um, then the read times from Rabbit, the write times for RabbitMQ, and so on and so forth. And so here you already have something a little bit more powerful in the sense that you can answer questions a little bit better than just saying, oh, it's up or it's down or this particular endpoint has an error or something like that. Um, so in terms of alerting, I'm not going to be touching too much on the alerting subject. Um, the basic idea is that once you have these metrics and particularly the fact that all of these metrics are stored in InfluxDB, you can now plug any alerting system on top of this. You can define the thresholds you, you think are worrying and you can then alert based on that. Uh, even I, I think that even Grafana allows you to define those thresholds itself and then um, you can route the, uh, the warnings or the alerts to, uh, to specific channels. Um, and so the last thing I wanted to show you is a little bit about tracing. And before we go into tracing, I, I just wanted to quickly introduce three concepts. Uh, in this case, the concept of span, trace, and context. Um, so the, the idea is, is quite simple. Uh, so when you have, especially when you have distributed systems, when you have multiple microservices or multiple edges in your, in your system, uh, it's very common that a single request or a single operation touches multiple of the services. So you want to have an identifier that tells you exactly what the, that, that identifies this distributed operation. And so that identifier is what we usually call a trace identifier. And then sometimes you want to look at the global, uh, the global operation, but sometimes you also just want to look at a specific uh, piece within that operation. So maybe just the execution within um, within a specific, um, so op operation within a specific service, for instance. And so that operation, that sub-operation will also have an identifier and we call that a span identifier. And then those smaller operations, usually you also want to add some contextual information, some diagnosing information, and that is what the, the context will be. So to give you an example, let's say we have a fairly simple system with two services A and B. Uh, and so once you issue a request to A, it's going to call B twice. So as A starts, uh, starts handling the request, because the operation is starting, it's going to generate its own trace identifier. And it's also going to generate a span identifier, which is going to uh, identify the operation within, uh, within A. And then Within the usually in HTTP context, you you want to have like information like the URL or the status code associated with this span identifier. And so let's say A calls B for the first time, and now if we don't tell B anything, B doesn't really know that it's operating within trace ID within that specific trace ID. And so because of that, uh, usually especially within in the in the uh, so in the HTTP, you usually use the headers for this. You just send the information of this trace ID that's being used. Uh, furthermore, you, you send the span identifier, mostly because you want to tell B that it's, um, you, you want B to know that it's a sub-operation of this particular uh, span. And so B receives that request and it's going to create its own span identifier because it's implementing its own uh, operation. And it's going to, create its own context because again, it's uh, performing its own operation. The, the response is returned. And then again, notice that when A calls B again, it still sends the same trace and span IDs because nothing has changed as far as A is concerned. But B, since it's now running a new request, will generate a new span identifier and a new context as well. And yeah, so this is tracing. 
Um, so what does this give us? Uh, and what is Kevin doing for this? Um, so again, so as my operation is running, I'm collecting the logs that are being um, that are being produced. And the idea is, let's say that there is a, there's a label. I'm just going to adjust this. Let me just do this. Um, so in this case, I'm filtering all my logs for and looking for errors. And uh, let's say I look at this particular log line, uh, which luckily has a has a, a stack trace, but a lot of the times it may not have it. Uh, the question now becomes, what, what kind of information can I drive from this? Because it, it's a simple log line. It would be nice if I could look at all the logs that were um, generated uh, within this execution. And so remember that those trace IDs and span IDs are being generated and are being propagated as well through the services. Um, so what Kamen also does is once you log something, it will look at the current uh, context ID or, or the current trace ID and we'll inject it in the logs. So one thing we can see is that we have a property trace ID present in the logs. So I can quickly just filter by that. I'll have to remove the error. And uh, we can see here, now we can see that we've, we're, we're drilled down essentially, essentially only on the logs that are part of this uh, distributed um, uh, distributed transaction within all of these services. And that is already a massive step. Um, the other thing we can do is notice that, let me just add the service, usually, okay. Um, notice that we have multiple services being touched. We also have multiple span IDs. And uh, again, we can further drill down by a specific span ID. And now we could look at the logs uh, generated by a single execution within that trace ID uh, separately from everything else. Now, the other thing we can do is, uh, let me just copy this trace ID. And so this, so this trace IDs and all of this span information is at the same time being sent to Zipkin. And with, within Zipkin, uh, we can use this trace ID, which identifies the operation, and we can get this view of the how the operation actually happened. And so you can see more or less that we started with the console app that called the bartender app, the bartender app published something through EvidentQ, um, and then uh, the tab processed, and then you can see here in red that there seems to have been a, an issue here. And so when we look at it, remember the, the context information that I mentioned before, that is now available here through this uh, tags view. And so this one doesn't necessarily give us much. So we know the component that failed, we know that there was an error. And in this case, we know the routing key, but this doesn't give us too much information. If we keep going more or less the same, we, know exact, we now know exactly what the endpoint was that was called that fail. We even have the URL associated with it. Um, and then I guess the, the, the smoking gun here is that uh, we can see here that after this instruction, there seems to be two statements being issued. Uh, so this update are JDBC statements. And so if we have a quick look, um, so this is all configurable, but for now, um, Kamen is actually uh, injecting the actual query that was executed. So we can kind of see immediately that there seems to have been two queries uh, issued at the same time. One that seems to update a record and then right afterwards, one that seems to insert that same record. So it does seem to be some concurrency thing going on here. And the other thing that is interesting to look at here is remember that there's an hierarchy of the smaller operations. So we can, see here that this insert is actually part of the first um, of the of the handling of the first request but it seems like the um, excuse me um, it seems like the 
update is issued first. So it seems like it's also actually able to go all the way to Rabbit, all the way to the tab, come back before the app, before and to, so it's, it's able to do all of that flow of um, pouring the drink and coming back before the initial request finishes processing. Um, and so the idea, so the, the benefit here is that we can actually visualize this data because if you, if you are looking at it from a, so purely from a, uh, so looking at the logs or trying to debug your application, this is a very tricky, um, it's a very complicated thing to actually visualize. Uh, the other point where this can be quite useful is also um, for performance uh, uh, kinds of concerns in the sense that we can see effectively what's, what's taking how long and we can therefore like maybe I could go into this drink request and try to uh, improve performance a little bit versus um, improving the performance of this part of the code. So it allows us to um, it allows us to prioritize and to have a better view of where time is being spent. Um, so lastly, uh, I just wanted to give you a quick overview of the uh, tools that I'm using. Uh, the idea is that each microservice that I'm using has, so the code itself is, um, is written in Scala and then Kamen is just a library added to the, to the code. Um, so it's it's running as part of the application, and then every every uh, x amount of seconds is pushing that uh, measurements in this case to InfluxDB, and then I just put Grafana uh, checking what uh, InfluxDBs um, are visualizing the data within InfluxDB. Um, the logs portion, uh, I'm exporting it using Logstash. Uh, the idea here is that Kamen doesn't really know about Logstash at all. All that it does is once the log line, once the log line is written, it just injects that information within that log line. And then uh, that gets sent to Elasticsearch and we, we look at the, at the logs within Kibana. And then the tracing information is being sent to Zipkin and Jaeger. Uh, the, you usually just want to use one. I just use both because uh, I just wanted to try both really. And yeah, so lastly, just a quick um, a, a quick um, overview of what it takes usually to do something like this. Uh, the work is mostly at the, um, at the setup level. So you have to have the dependencies to your project. And then in some particular, um, in some particular places, you may have to wrap your, uh, your dependencies. So for instance, with the JDBC connection, you have to wrap the JDBC connection so that essentially, um, uh, so that Kamen is able to know when you actually call the update method or the uh, whatever method you call. Uh, but those are usually at the setup level. So you usually don't have to touch the, the business logic side of the code. And then another important thing is we usually have to define a mapping that goes from uh, from a single operation, from, from like a, in this case, a URL into an operation name. And this is to make sure that uh, like two endpoints like slash user slash one and slash user slash two are actually treated as part of the same operation, which is slash user slash uh, user ID. And yeah, so quick references, some of the things that I've uh, researched uh, while doing this. Um, this particular one, is the repository where all of this code is. Uh, you, should, you should just be able to do Docker Compose app on this project and have everything run like I've, I've just showed you. Uh, it may take a little bit because all the code has to be compiled within Docker, which is not, is not often that fast. And yeah, so then you have all the, all of the small scripts that, I, that I've told you. And you also have Grafana already with all of the uh, um, charts inside and so on. And yeah, any questions? Uh, I don't know. Thank you, Carlos. I can check if we have some questions. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, we have uh, two questions. Uh, so, what do you prefer, Zipkin or Jaeger? Uh, that's a good question. Personally, Zipkin, because uh, Jaeger has this fairly annoying behavior of, so it assumes that the parents pain, uh, so in essentially it assumes that this first call, the duration of this first call, uh, the beginning and the end are also the beginning of the end of all the sub calls. So when you, like when you submit something into, uh, into RabbitMQ or into a, a Kafka or something like that, and say you submit it today and it starts processing tomorrow and they share the same trace ID. Um, Jaeger will show the second operation as starting around the same time as the first one because it has this weird, I'm not even sure if it's a bug or just the way they define things, um, where it says that the, the parent span has to contain the other one. Um, but yeah, on the, other, on the other side, Jaeger does have a, a little bit of a better UI, so. Okay, so, uh... Second question is, uh, have you tried the ELK's APM for Elasticsearch uh, APM? Uh, I, I'm assuming the, the service. I, I, I really, I honestly don't really know what that is. So, um, you in, this in this particular case, what I did was uh, I am essentially running um, Elasticsearch and Kibana uh, and Logstash within a container. And that's about it. So I, I didn't really try uh, anything fancy on that, on that side of things. Okay, another one. So do you have experience uh, coming with Play Framework? And if yes, how easy it was to integrate? Uh, yeah, I did. So I, I used to work for this company um, called Money Farm. And we used to, to use play, the play framework with Scala. Um, and I did, we, we did integrate with Kamen. It's fairly straightforward, really, um, particularly in play because you almost don't have to, so you really just have to add the library, enable the, the instrumentation, and then provide that operation from URL to, uh, from URL to an operation name, and that's it. From that moment on, it, it's working. Sounds I think like the, the website as well has like a step-by-step -step guide of how to integrate with, with Play as well, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, thank you, Carlos. Um, okay, we have here another question, but for now it's for Philip. Philip, are you around? Yes. So, Philip, when should we use histograms and summaries? So, the question is one versus the other, right? Uh, let me check. Uh, the, yes. Okay. So, this is um, related to also uh, the part of different flavors and, and colors. So, there are several different histograms. Some of them are, uh, so some of them, them preserve the entire preserve the entire sketch so that you basically are able to both merge different different uh, histograms uh, and not increase the error etc and uh, apart from that going maybe a little bit theoretical then going to practical so uh, histograms have uh, different types of flavors they have different characteristics one of them is that if they are mergeable or not another one is that if they are bound to specific intervals or not and the histograms versus summaries, summaries falls into that. So basically, if I'm not mistaken, a summary uh, is, is more related to k-means histogram in which you are able to not specify the boundary of your interval. So for example, you don't know what the range of latencies that you're going to experience. You select a summary. Uh, and if you have, um, uh, and that comes with penalties. You are not able to merge different histograms and you are, and, uh, but on the other side, it allows you to have um, a larger scope of latencies that are added to there. Regarding the histogram specifically for Prometheus, you need to specify the um, upper boundary, which is motivated to, you need to know uh, upfront what's the limit of your, the latencies that, that you are in interested upon 
and what's the the thing that you will consider plus infinity infinity so if you know that you should use histograms uh, because they provide you right away uh, with the performance optimization because you know the boundary of um, uh, the histogram and you can uh, optimize for that and uh, you are able to merge multiple histograms we also um, so basically i think that the answer is it depends on whether you know the, the distribution of your intervals and it depends whether you need to merge several histograms and an example of merging several histograms is for example i have two machines collecting the information and i want to know the, the overall quantile 50 of both machines you but you can average histograms so you need to merge both of them if you have that type of requirement you should use an histogram but that comes with the cost of having to fully characterize your fully characterize up front the data that you want to collect. We also have that type of issue, and we also have those type of types of requirements on the tools that we are developing. And in the latest link that I, latest slide that I've shared, I shared two flavors of histograms. One of them is the HDR one, in which you specify HDR histogram, in which you specify and in which you know upfront what's the boundary of. Um, of uh, the, the scope of, or the boundary of the latency that you are that you want to measure, and that's why the, it is so fast when compared to the T-digest one. T-digest one is motivated to I, I will accept any type of latency. It will cost me more to add that the points, but you don't have the requirement of knowing upfront what uh, you will be um, serving basically. But um, I, I think that if that did it as answer the question. Yeah, but uh, that's why uh, that's why we are also uh, pushing for two types of histograms: the T-digest one and the HDR one, and they are they have different type of performance, different type of requirements. But you should check both of them, and I think that that should also relate towards the 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 guys from Prometheus that are developing both summaries and histograms. Okay, what they call you, summaries and histograms. Um, we will share the both uh, presentations from Philippe Car, so um, then you can uh, get all the reference they, they share with us. Um, I think I think we don't have more questions, so it's uh, I would like to thank you to Philippe and Carlos for great sharing uh, their knowledge with us. For everyone who joined us and um, participated with questions, and um, just for joining us, uh, so. See you next meetup that will happen very soon in the beginning of uh, August. We are working to, to set up that one. So thank you and see you soon.